Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a Flourishing Start podcast. I'm Esmeralda, your podcast host. And in this episode, we will dive into an exploration of trauma and specifically how trauma can be passed down through generations. We will consider what trauma means, how it shows up in our lives, and how it can impact young children. We will end with a piece of hope and talk about how we can heal and grow together. In this episode, I have two guests with me, Danielle and Jahaira. Danielle is the Birth to Five Coordinator at Pacific Clinics. She provides clinical services and supervises a team of clinicians that support young children and their guardians. Danielle is also a mother of two. Danielle, could you share a little bit with Jahaira and I why you're passionate about mental health and specifically if you want to dive into early childhood mental health as your passion, that would sure. be great. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I'll just jump into to early childhood mental health. I would say I've always been fascinated by the wonders of infants and children and you know how they grow and develop and the power of the relationships that they have with their attachment figures. Um, I've been doing this since 2012, maybe, in, in working as a community, community mental health clinician. And I would say after seeing, you know, kids within the full span, zero to 18, um, noticing a lot with older kids and knowing what their mental health struggles were later on, and just realizing that like, wow, if we could have gotten in so much earlier to prevent some of this or to meet these little ones with their caregivers where, where some of these traumas began or where some of the struggles for this family began, it would just be so much better. We'd prevent so many more kids later on that needed help and support um, and really helping communities thrive. I would say that that's probably where my, my passion began. Um, and as I've gotten more, you know, training and, and more into the world of zero to five, it's just such a rich time. Um, it's such a critical time. Brains are literally being built and foundations for all future functioning and relationships are being built. Um, and our zero to five kids are our most vulnerable. They have no voice and choice. Mm -hmm. And so all of the things that impact adults or older kids in the modern world also impact them, but even more so because they're that much more vulnerable. Thank you for sharing that piece, Danielle. I really hear the passion coming through your voice. And so like, I'm very happy that we have you as a clinician in our state of California. So thank you for sharing that piece. Our second guest with us today, Danielle, is Jahaira. Jahaira is a mom of a young child and is expecting a second baby soon. Along with being a mother, Jahaira is also in early, in early childhood education and happens to also run and co-host a true crime podcast in Spanglish, so Spanish and English, called Cuento Crimen. Jahaira's podcast was recently featured on Telemundo for providing a podcast platform for the Latino community. Jahaira, thank you for joining us. Would you be able to share with us why you are passionate about the mental health topic or your curiosity about early childhood mental health? Uh, well, 
Thank you so much for having me to Esmeralda. It is an honor. Um, I guess for me, mental health is something that I also dealt with growing up. Um, and I myself had developed an anxiety order in my uh, younger Wow, it was I was like 20 when I developed it. So I feel like ever since then, I'm like very passionate about uh, mental health. And um, also, like you mentioned, I do work uh, at an elementary school specifically with kindergartners. So I feel like um, a lot of the motto at our school is just like, oh, I see that you're feeling frustrated. Why? And I don't ever recall a teacher asking, us that in our generation like it was just like oh you're like your bad choices represent who you are but in reality like it goes so much deeper than that um so Mm -hmm. I feel like just being in the environment that I work in and then going through my personal experience and now being like a mom (laughs) um I feel like it's something that needs to be talked about and it makes me happy that uh the newer generations are more aware of what it means to be at a good state mentally. Thank you, Jahaira. One um, fact that I'll throw out there for Danielle and Danielle is that Jahaira and I uh, graduated high school together once upon a time. <laughs> so that is a reconnection for us. And so before we get to, uh, before we dive into our conversation about generational trauma, um, I wanted to uplift an article that was released in mid-December on LA Times. The title is called How We Can Break the Cycle of Intergenerational Trauma by Laura um, Newberry, a staff writer. And in there, I wanted to read just the first two paragraphs because it really sets the tone for what we're talking about today. And so I'll go ahead and get us started with the quote. Woven through out most of this newsletter is the understanding that our past informs our present. It shows up in the choices we make, our relationships, our work. No corner of our lives go untouched by the shadows of our former selves. That concept that personal history plays a key role in our psychology has been formally recognized since the days of Freud. But a younger Bourgeoning field of study is now examining the painful imprints of our lifetimes before our own, those of our parents, our grandparents, and so on. And so we're joining this crucial time of speaking of what intergenerational experiences look like in our present selves. And so in our show, um, in our show notes we will link the article for anyone that's interested to take a look Um, feel free to read it it's a really great piece and with that framework we'll go ahead and just start off by a few pieces of language that i would like to define and so we'll start off with um, defining trauma i was hoping if danielle would you be able to help us here in understanding this concept We hear the term trauma and we use it more frequently nowadays. And so we wanted to ask Danielle, what does trauma actually mean? Sure. You're right. It it can be um, overused at times, right? Especially you hear a lot of young people like, oh my gosh, that was so traumatizing. I'm so traumatized. (laughs) 
Um, but really, the definition of trauma is it's really the way that the body and mind respond to a distressing or a disturbing experience. Um, those experiences can be anything that, you know, causes personal harm um, or witnessing somebody else be in harm or even hearing about someone close to you having experienced something harmful. Um, fearing for one's own life or someone else's, having medical trauma, med medical challenges, and stressful experiences, um, accidents, major injuries, being exposed to violence, mm. interpersonal violence, a significant loss, natural disasters, war. Those are sort of the main things that we think about as being those distressing events. Um, but when we say someone has trauma symptoms, we're talking about what happened in their body as a response to those experiences. And there's sort of a set of things that we look for um, that are both, you know, emotional and physical um, changes that can happen and that really change a person's view of the world and their sense of safety in the world. Jahaira, feel free to chime in whenever you would like. But I think um, something that really sticks with me to Danielle, we can cover later on, is how those symptoms look different in a young yeah. child that's like one or two years old versus a child that's 10 sure. years old. Um, and that's definitely something I'm interested in learning a little bit more about from you. Jahaira, I wanted to see if there was any reactions you had to hearing what the definition of trauma means. Oh, but I think I was pretty like okay with understanding the trauma, but then when you brought up the, like the trauma symptoms, I was like, oh, okay, so it's like two different kind of like branches. And then I was mm. curious to see like what are some examples of like the symptoms, like what kind of symptoms do we see? Um, yeah, sure. So the <clears throat> the typical ones that we see when someone's experienced trauma is um, re-experiencing the trauma. So in adults, that might be flashbacks, memories, thoughts in your head that you just, they just come into your head and you can't get them to go away really, or they're involuntary, wow. um, remembering certain parts or not remembering anything at all. Um, mm. It can be also physiological changes like difficulty sleeping, having nightmares, being um, having a difficult time focusing or just being like, agitated and like your body needs to move all the time. Um, yeah. oh. Changes in mood, certainly. So having a harder time experiencing joy, more depressed mood or anxious, uh, a last lack of trust of others. And then there are some, you know, times where with trauma, you might also experience suicidal ideation, thinking about wanting to hurt yourself or even an emotional numbness and detachment from reality. Mm. Um, and all of those things, you know, are generally, you know, we think of like, oh my gosh, trauma, it's so bad. But in, in reality, it's like your body did something in that distressing event to protect itself, to try to manage how awful this thing was. And you kind of get stuck in that, right? So it, it came from an effort for your body to protect your mind, to protect your psyche. Um, but it's not adaptive after the trauma is over, if that makes sense. 
It does. It makes sense. And I think one thing that uh, I wanted to highlight too, Danielle, is this concept um, that trauma gets stored in the body and how that plays out in the littlest and the littlest, I mean, the youngest yeah. people. I think um, historically we talked about how we didn't really see or talk about what mental health or well-being looked like in young children. But in reality, even though they may not have a formalized memory, some may remember through their body and how that felt like for them. So we have this definition of what trauma means and what it what it means to experience it yourself. But how does that differ then from intergenerational trauma, Danielle? So intergenerational trauma is sort of the concept that our forebearers, whether it's our parents or grandparents or further back in our ancestry, that trauma that they've experienced can be passed on to the next generation. Now, there's certainly evidence that this does happen. I think there's still a lot of research being done on what are the specific mechanisms of how it gets passed. Mm. Um, but I generally think of it as, you know, there's kind of, there can be changes genetically that happen, right? So if you're, if you're constantly in chronic stress, that can change our, what's called epigenetics, which is how our genes are expressed. So it's not like it's changing the DNA per se, but there are these markers above a gene that will turn it on or off. And chronic stress has been shown to change how our genes are expressed through that mechanism. So it might change a gene that makes you more susceptible to depression or have less resilience to something, right? Based on what you've been through. And then those genetic markers can be passed on through the next generation. Um, so there are actual like biological mechanisms that happen that are still, you know, probably there's so much to learn about that. Um, but there's also kind of like social, psychosocial things that are happening as well through through our parenting behaviors, how, how we were parented, how those parents were parented um, based on the things that, that our ancestors experienced. And really, if you don't experience something, it's very hard to give that to someone else as you become a parent. Um, same with, you know, we, we all, we all just repeat the things that we know that feel familiar, that feel normal to us. Um, but that can also be true for things that either don't serve the next generation as well, especially as far further you are removed from that trauma or that perpetuate kind of a cycle of trauma, whether it's through abuse or through domestic violence or even just being able to connect with a young child and understand the foundations and not just understand it up here, but in here. How does it feel to really be able to form a relationship and a healthy attachment with someone? If you haven't had that and your parents haven't had that and their parents haven't had that, it's going to be a lot harder for you to instinctively know how to do that. How does generational trauma occur or how does it show up in our minds and bodies? Um, and if you can just share like from your experience, what some symptoms look like in um, children that are under five years old? It, it is really looking at all of the same categories that happen in adults, but we just have to look for the clues maybe a little bit differently. 
Um, so for babies or young children, for any of the, the physiological symptoms, those are going to show up in sleeping. So kids that have a really hard time settling just like cannot fall asleep or wake up like often their sleep is disturbed. Um, it shows up in feeding. So kids that maybe stop feeding, won't, won't eat or not gaining weight. Um, or may overcompensate, eat all the time, um, and in their, in their temperament and their kind of like their states of arousal. So um, we see in young children sort of um, increased startle responses, more irritability, more tantrums, um, an increase in like negative emotion and difficulty playing and engaging as you would like typically expect of a child their age. Some more social withdrawal. Um, and then you can see for some kids a lot of physiological distress at any reminder of the trauma. So any of those like triggers. Um, or for kids that are verbal, could be a preoccupation with something that happened to them, whether they're like asking questions about it all the time or kind of sharing it in situations where like they shouldn't be talking to everyone about this. Mm. And for a lot of kids, it looks like um, reenacting in play. And so it might not be that clear always, but maybe you see a kid who's constantly, maybe, you know, they experienced a car crash or they're, or something and they're constantly crashing the cars together and they're showing that, or they're using dolls and they're using bad words and things that they've experienced, they're reenacting those things. Um, so that's more, you know, that's what we see when we see kids that have experienced a trauma. I would say for the examples um, that we were talking about, like how the child experiences the in utero environment and what effects that can have, I would say probably the biggest thing that I've seen is that kids that have had maybe not the most optimal in utero experience, um, exposure to substances, exposure to chronic stress, tend to be more emotionally reactive can be more difficult to soothe as infants. Um, and that creates this other issue then secondarily to their relationship with their caregiver because a child that's harder to soothe and is having a big emotional response over everything is a lot harder of a baby and a toddler to get along with for the parent, right? Um, so it causes this secondary issue as well. Um, but I would say that's probably the biggest way that I see in my practice, at least that generational trauma being transmitted. Thank you for sharing some examples, mm -hmm. Danielle. I, I definitely see like using those examples with children that I just know in my life too, and how it shows up differently. Jaira, is there anything that you would like to ask Danielle, just out of curiosity? <laughs> um... Well, actually, I think that was like my biggest question. Like, how how do we identify like trauma or generational trauma within like the younger children? Um, I was, and then like hearing you talk about those examples, like I can definitely see some of those with my students, um, especially like the one like where they talk about like just randomly out of nowhere, like just this hard mm -hmm. story, and like we kind of like like our coworkers, you know, we kind of like joke around like, oh yeah, kids always say the truth or kids will always, you know, say the most randomest things. But I never like thought that that's their way of like talking about their trauma or processing 
uh, the trauma or even the way that they play with the toys. Like I never would have thought that like crashing cars could mean that that's them feeling the trauma from a car accident if they were in one, you know, or if they seen one. Um, so I think that was like very um, eye opening. And also just like for my son, you know, like obviously it's a hard question, but I was just like, well, how do I know if my son does have generational trauma? Like he's about to be two. Right. And we feel like, well, at least like for me, I'm like, he's only two. But at the same time, like he's a little person. He has his little brain, his little heart. He has his emotions. So I guess for his age, like those would also be symptoms of him feeling some kind of trauma. Yeah, I I want to temper everything that I've said with like these can be examples. So every kid crashing cars does not mean that every kid ha is expressing a trauma, right? Um, and the same with like, you know, tantrums. Like if your little guy is almost two, he should be throwing some tantrums. That's, <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking. That's about. developmentally appropriate, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I would say it, when we look at it, it's, it's outside of the normal range. It's much more beyond where their developmental stage should set them at. So for a kid who's two and it's like they're inconsolable all the time and they have much shorter ranges of time where they can be like alert and calm and focused and engaged and those times are so short you would you would notice because your day would be a lot harder with with that little person right um the typical tantrums multiple times a day of a toddler we want that to happen. That's important to development. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, you know, any of these symptoms mean trauma. It's, it's that when you see this set of multiple things, so not just one thing, but all of those things together, and it seems so much more exacerbated than typical development, that's when you might worry or think, okay, we got to work on something. Um, but I would also say it's usually, you know, it's very much connected. Children are so connected to the environment that they're in and their caregiving relationship. So if you know that a parent is experiencing something or has experienced something and is struggling with that, then you know that the child's affected, right? And, and of no fault to that parent, but just parents or caregivers' well-being is so directly connected to the child's well-being because that child depends on them for everything. Yeah, I, I really, like, that's a piece that I want to emphasize, like, in every episode. Like, you cannot disconnect the well-being of the caregiver from the child's well-being. They're, like, intertwined with each other. And yeah. I know we all want to see, like, young children take on the world and be flourishing in their lives but that also means that we want to see their parent caregiver thriving flourishing we have to want all of it to really have a happy healthy child and like it goes back to this this on this burden placed on parents too like it's not it shouldn't be extra homework for a parent to take care of their own well-being on top of their child's well-being like families should have all the resources they need to take care of themselves so that they can take care of their little one and i think that is like a big piece that in our society we should take away 
um because it's sometimes like yeah we'll take care of the baby but not the mom like don't push it there (laughs) and to me that's so absurd like i can't believe that like we say yes let's help the children but no let's not help the mom or the parent or caregiver and to me it's like let's hold on to that piece of the interconnectedness between all of us and um you know see a a world where we all have the resources to reach our full potential um our nervous systems begin to develop in the utero so even um i forget what before you're born in other words um, and parental stress during pregnancy has been associated with higher rates of both physical illness and mental health challenges for those babies and so learning that connection to me was um, shocking, yeah. I guess is the best way that it's I can It's pretty mind-blowing. It. I'll, I'll blow your mind one, once over with that because <laughs> I, I got mind, okay. mind-blowing <laughs> recently about this. But um, uh-huh. there's some research that's come out that's looking exactly what you said about, you know, the, the mother's mental health while pregnant and how that um, impacts the the fetus and the child later that that develops. Um, but there's they're looking at I believe it's women who during their pregnancy self endorse that they're experiencing mental health challenges, depression and anxiety mm-hmm. being the main ones. The baby experiences whatever cortisol mom is is experiencing, and cortisol is the main stress hormone. Now, normally the placenta actually um, creates an enzyme that helps to block out cortisol. So it helps protect the baby, right? In mothers who have depression and anxiety in pregnancy, that enzyme is less effective or does not get transmitted as much. So it's one of those, like, it's amazing that they found this, but it's, okay, but why and how? What is the mechanism that mom's mental health actually changes biologically the placenta's ability to protect the fetus from cortisol? So that baby may be experiencing the full amount or a larger amount where other people that, yeah, there are stresses throughout pregnancies. That's normal. We're all human. We we all have stress. Um, But if you don't have other mental health conditions, your baby may be naturally more protected from that cortisol spike. I thought that was wild. That was very wild. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Especially because like during my pregnancy, well, obviously it's like normal, but during my first pregnancy, I felt a lot of anxiety. Um, and just mostly about like the, the labor part. I was like, how is my body going to be able to do that? And so I feel like I caused a lot of like my own anxiety. And then I would feel bad because I was like, I don't want my baby to feel the anxiety that I'm feeling. But, you know, now I, now I know. <laughs> but you got stuck in a cycle, Jahaira, huh? Like, that's what, you, like, you ended up putting yourself in a loop, too, because, like, you, I I'm, I haven't gave birth myself. I do want to make that distinction on the podcast, too, so I can't relate on that part, but... 
I don't, I feel like I can't even imagine, start to imagine what that was like. But even like really the second piece that you said, Jahaira, is like now I, I, I recognize that I'm having that anxiety or those feelings. And now I want to make sure I don't pass it down to my child. And so then it kind of gets stuck in a cycle of worry and anxiety. And to me, it's just, um, I feel like a more common than we think when it comes to I guess the mental health of mothers prior yep. prior to giving birth. I feel like mothers don't get the same empathy until the child is physically here, but like when the child is in the belly, it's kind of like I don't know. We don't really talk about the mental health during that piece in the first few years of a child's life, I guess. Yeah, they always want to know after, but it's actually like for yeah. most women it's actually during pregnancy when people start to feel that, or maybe they were even struggling with that before pregnancy. And it makes it more likely that you're gonna, you know, continue with those challenges later. But for most women that do have postpartum depression, it started during the pregnancy for sure. Hmm. And it's usually actually more so anxiety than depression is also the, the symptoms of postpartum are often much more anxious than depressed mood and a lot of times it's things that when you know we just hold in and you like Jahir you're talking about like you're sitting there being like oh my gosh how am I going to do this but then like I'm freaking out about this and is that impacting my baby and now I'm stressed about that and then I have mom guilt and I just keep it to myself and I don't say anything Hmm. um right so it, it can be something that is totally missed and there's not a lot of checking in with women during pregnancy about that for sure is generational trauma something that is talked about in your parenting communities if not why do you think our parenting communities don't really talk about generational trauma growing up i never knew about the word trauma i never knew about generational trauma um and like even you know my sister who was a young mom um like, I feel like her experience as a mother with that conversation is very different than my experience as a mother with that conversation. Um, I feel like it's something that we're becoming more aware and open-minded about, which makes me happy, right? Because, like, it's, it's I mean, as a first generation, um, I feel like our parents didn't really have time to think about generational trauma like they're just trying to survive they're trying you know to find new beginnings trying to get you know the best Mm -hmm. life for us um and so I feel like no one really had like I guess the knowledge to just sit down and have a conversation about it um and I feel like nowadays it's something that is like we're all becoming more aware at least like the community that I'm in um even like I said like just Mm -hmm. working at the school that I'm working at and comparing that to like my schooling, you know, experience, like it's a totally different one. Um, and it, it's very like nice to see and very neat to see. Um, and it just, I don't know, it like makes me happy that people are more open to talking about it. And it's not like such a like hush hush, like don't speak about it type of conversation. Um, so like, I mean, I don't have a lot of mom friends, <laughs> but um, like I, I, you know, my cousin, she's like the one who like 
has these conversations with me and like next thing you know it's like two hours later and we we just like totally dived into like how do we not (laughs) pass this trauma to my child or how do we heal from our trauma you know and that's definitely something that like I never heard like my mom or my aunts talk about when they're having their like little cheese time you know so I feel like it's (laughs) I feel like it's definitely like a conversation that's becoming normalized um which is great there's a there's a piece in the article um that I wanted to just highlight a little bit because it resonated with me on reasons why we may not talk about generational trauma so I'll read from the article mentioned in the beginning There's a psychoanalyst named Galitz Atlas in the article, and she recalls a personal experience um, when it comes to speaking about generational trauma within her own family. So Atlas, who calls intergenerational trauma emotional inheritance, experienced this conspiracy of silence in her own family. Uh, She quotes, my mother lost her older brother when he was 14. He drowned in the sea. I knew about it, but we never talked about it. No one wanted to make my mom sad. We had an unstated agreement to not talk about it, to not hurt each other, Atlas said. But this meant that the trauma was not known. We could not process it and share it or sit with it as a family. It was kept in an isolated place in our minds. And when I read that, like it really hit home for me because that's something that literally I down to the T of an an experience that my family had around trauma like we don't talk about it and I think it's mainly because I don't want to hurt them (laughs) when I talk about it like I just know it's too painful so we just don't talk about it and I feel like that piece um, where we're trying to not hurt each other and that's why we don't talk about it it's like important and there's also a distinction in the article that they make that Ultimately, many of us do have the ability to begin healing pain that has been passed down to us, experts say. And um, they wanted to make a note, though, that not everyone has the ability to go there to heal. And so I just kind of wanted to make that um, distinction, too, because um, when I think of my father and all his traumas passed down and for him, he lost his firstborn son when he um, due to gun violence. And I was always a little bit mad at myself, mad at my father for not being healed. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's been so long, dad. Like, why can't you be a healed man? But then I realized that I can't ask that of him and, and his current state of life. And so. I think what we can do for our own healing journeys is looking different for everyone. And to kind of wrap up our episode on generational trauma, um, I wanted to end with a piece of hope because it's like how, you know, generational trauma is being talked about more. And I hear this common saying, like, if you're going to talk about generational trauma, talk about generational wisdom and generational healing. Like there's also so many other good pieces that come with our um, history and our ancestors. And so, Danielle, to kind of start the wrapping up of this conversation, um, and this is very broad, (laughs) Danielle, but how can we heal for ourselves and for our young children? What are some wild 
um, ideas or scientifically proven things that have helped out um, families in your experience? Well, since I am a therapist, you know, I'm going to be a big proponent of therapy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say recognizing, first of all, if you're experiencing your own challenges and symptoms and making it a priority to get help for that, Mm -hmm. as hard as it is sometimes in modern life to to set that time aside for yourself as a parent when you've got all these other responsibilities to juggle and your child, right? Um, But to get your own support so that you can process those things and build some resiliency. Um, And if it is something that you feel like is impacting your relationship with your child, there are great therapy models out there um, that specifically address trauma, that specifically address your attachment relationship and really build parents and children up together. Um, They're very supportive supportive methods and often just look like play, but are so much more. Um, so I would say take the time to invest in yourself and and get get the help if you need it. Or as Jahira, you mentioned, like talking about it, you you go into conversations and deep dives with your cousin. I think that's great. I do the same thing with my sister and um, there's healing and processing in that too. Not everyone necessarily needs a therapist, but not being in a vacuum, saying things out loud, speaking those unspeakable things um, and making connections to how that's impacted you. And then being mindful of how do I want to impact my child? Because as much as we can go down rabbit holes, especially once you become a parent, the, the parental guilt out there is strong. And you can go down a rabbit hole of like, what am I doing to screw my kid up? Um, but reframing <laughs> that into what do I want to bring to my child? And what resiliency do I have and strength? And what feeling do I want to give? And how can I be intentional about that? And then finding support to do that. Because it's, again, it's not always easy. And you can't do that in a vacuum either. You need a community or a person to talk to. Jahaira, I wanted to ask you, what is one piece of hope that you're taking away from today since we talked about such a heavy topic is there something that stuck with you that makes you feel hopeful about early childhood mental health well-being and all that um uh, what um i think was very informative i feel like i learned a lot um but i think like personally one thing that i'm working on is just how you were speaking on earlier about how the caregiver and the baby are intertwined and if like like both parties need to be okay to raise a good happy healthy baby um and so i feel like that's my main um goal especially entering the two at two babies (laughs) Um, like i want to make sure that like i um take care of myself and that i don't feel guilty for taking care of myself um i can definitely say like I don't think, well, like, the postpartum was hard the first time around. Like, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of new changes. Um, and I do agree with Danielle of, like, it's mostly most like mostly anxiety than depression. Like, I remember bringing my newborn baby home the first night. I cannot see because I was so anxious. I was like, oh, my gosh, what? Like, what if I can't hear him cry? But if I fall asleep or, you know, you just have, like, all these thoughts mm-hmm. running through your mind. Um 
So I think moving forward, like I do want to have that conversation with like my mom friends, you know, like how are you taking care of yourself? Or like people are so used to always asking about how the baby is. So maybe being more mindful of like, well, okay, your baby's fine, but how are you? Like, how are you doing aside from your baby? Um, and I do, I know I do it too. Sometimes people do ask me like, how are you? I'm like, well, I'm doing great. The baby's great. He's happy. He's he's learning. And it's like, wait, they're asking about me <laughs> for once, you know? Um, so I think that's definitely like one of, um, like something that I'm looking forward to uh, being a second time mom, like just knowing that all those emotions, like I'm going to be more able to like, work myself through them and um just keep in mind everything that I learned the first time you know yeah I'll use this last piece to just um let our listeners know to remember that the child's well-being is intertwined with the family well-being their primary caretakers well-being and so let's be more gentle and caring to everyone around us is there one message of hope that you want our listeners to walk away with after today? Yeah, I would say that it's also never too late that we are resilient as humans. Babies and children are resilient and that your power to just connect with them, even through hard times, is so important for their well-being and your own. So never discount your own power um, in your position as a caregiver. Thank you for that. And with that, I'll leave our listeners with, if you have any thoughts on what additional information or resources that you think would be helpful to heal from um, trauma, go ahead and text us or leave us a voicemail at 661-388-6727. Thank you, Jahaira and Danielle for joining a Flourishing Start podcast. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the National Center for Youth Law. To suggest a podcast topic or to express interest in being a podcast guest, please email health at youthlaw.org.